Welcome to Currents, your leading global voice of maternal feminism. As maternal feminists, we are inviting you to join us, using our voices in the public square for the things that deeply matter, our faith, our families, and our maternal identities. The Currents podcast aims to gather women who are deliberate thinkers and women who are prepared to engage as powerful forces for good in our homes, our communities, and our world. Hello, listeners. Here we are, Kim Lindine and Carolina Allen back with you. Um, we are so excited to be here, Carol. I've missed these conversations. Yeah, it's been a little minute. <clears throat> we've, been. Had, we've had crazy sicknesses in our family, and so we had to take a tiny break. It's yeah. good to be back. There's one of the cool things about how big ocean runs, um, and we've kind of adopted this ebb and flow language in the organization because of the term big ocean, but we have definitely been in an ebb these last couple of weeks with Big Ocean and are excited to start flowing again and creating these contents and having these conversations. And we so appreciate um, just your grace and your willingness to keep listening, even with those ebbs and flows of life. So today's conversation is going to be fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm looking out my window here in Alaska and looking at the snow, but it is spring. Right, Carol, you guys are starting to see some spring weather I mean, down there in the lower yeah, 48. Apocalyptic winter. <laughs> after like five months of February. <laughs> Is that I'm like that's I have family still down there and the pictures have been insane. insane. Um, but I think we're finally starting to see those tulips arise and it's starting to happen. And so the conversation that we're going to be having today is kind of incorporating and our our thoughts are are on that topic. And the, the conversation we're going to be having today um, is one that is deep into my heart because of just the world we live in, because of the lifestyle we've chosen to live. But it's we live and promote a life culture within the womb, the home, and the ecological environment. And it is this um, three environments belief that has been beautifully created. Carol, I believe you're the original author of the idea. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was originally presented, was it university or was that in Habitat 3 was the first presentation of the idea um well i can't quite recall i think it was un habitat three in ecuador we had a colleague present it and then i presented it myself at um a women of the mountains conference in utah um a a un conference so yeah it's it's a it's a piece of you know it's an idea that um is really integral to big ocean women and how we we work so it's the idea that um, we promote life culture within the womb, which is our first environment. Um, and then we promote that into our second environment, which is our home. And then everything else, community, ecology, ecological environment outside of those two environments is the third environment. And so we, it's, it's the idea that if you can preserve peace, and non-harm and an abundance within those spheres that it just will naturally flow outward into the community or into the ecological environment um, because we're all integrated. We're all part of each other as human beings. We're all part of our greater ecosystems. Um, And it's important to look at the womb as an ecosystem. It's important to look at the home as an ecosystem and then it just spills over all of the abundance created within those birth, 
those those first two spheres, those first two environments, it will spill over into the third. I remember listening to this presentation for the first time down in, in keto, and my mind was blown at this idea. Um, it's it's easy to see that when it's all put together, but you really can see how peace and security in the womb leads to peace and security in the home. And in that creation of the human in that second environment of the home, that does spread. People that are given peace and love and security and abundance in the home mm-hmm. tend to project that into the greater environment. It, it just makes sense. Like when you hear it for the first time, you're like, oh, well, of course, you know, it's just like a no brainer. You get it. But it's rarely, it's rare that we talk about our homes as in, as its own habitat, you know, and when we're, you know, talking about environmental issues and, um, you know, everyone just wants to jump on the boat. We want to save all these ecosystems, right? But have we ever thought about the home as an ecosystem? What, what is, you know, let's take a temperature of our homes. Like what, what is, what is happening within the walls of our own homes? Um, are our dynamics healthy? Are people happy? Is it working? Is it a healthy environment? Is the ecosystem working? What components of that system um, are critical, are need or need extra support? You know, and I think that when we can start looking at our homes through that lens, it really is, it's important. It's life altering. Yeah, yeah. This is a topic that we can address literally every single issue and or problem and or positivity in this world is through this lens of the three environments. Mm-hmm. Um, but today's going to conversation because of our focus on spring and our being outside and doing like starting our gardens up and working with our livestock, it's going to be focused more on that third environment, which is an environment that that greater ecological environment of the world is something that is getting so much attention right now. Mm-hmm. And Importantly, so like it's this is the home, this earth, this little rock flying through space. This is the home that that we all live on, and that we need to make sure that we're we're handling with care, and we're kind of taking that same precaution as we do as we should be in our home, where we're taking the temperature on it, we're making sure that we're um, doing things that are going to create stability and uh, renewability within the home in the greater ecological world as well, and so. Okay. Um, I'm super excited to dive into this conversation. Yeah, Carol, do we want to maybe start with the, uh, this dichotomy between earth stewardship versus environmental stewardship? Yeah, I think I think that they're light years different. Um, the outcome is, I believe, like the goal is similar, but the way that you go about doing it is very different, which in turn, I don't know, I think it changes like the outcome. So what if we define both earth stewardship and environmental stewardship for our listeners, just so we're all in the well, same. I think stewardship is totally a different thing. So I'm talking about environmental activism and okay. environmentalism as a thing. And then um, in, environmental stewardship as something different. And the difference is in the activism and the environmentalism, it very much pits human beings as an enemy to the environment. And clearly there is precedent for that, you know, I mean, slashing and burning the rainforests and, you know, drilling for fossil fuels and different things like that, that people can really take as being extremely predatory on the planet. So, so it it comes from this more negative view of human beings on the earth. 
um, just as a foundation. So that's that's the fundamental difference. Um, environmental stewardship, on the other hand, um, looks at human beings as an integral part of the ecosystem that we're not apart from the environment at all, that we're completely integrated and, and that we have a, a more protective uh, stewardship responsibility with the environment. Meaning if you, if you were to look at something like gardeners of a garden that are caretakers that are looking at the different systems and how they're working and working to better, more harmoniously, you know, enhance those relationships, um, knowing full well that you're a part of that relationship, that you're not some kind of external being out there, and you know, and just kind of like a little third actor in this play, but you're like completely involved. And that that is the difference between environmental activism and environmental stewardship. Um, the activists typically are extremely radical in um, human population control. And clearly, um, environmental stewardship, um, if I'm looking at it, you know, here I am on two acres of land. I'm looking out my window right now with a boatload of, you know, projects that I've got going on out there. Um, My children are extremely important in the caretaking of this, like in passing it along to the next generation. And I have seven children. To an environmental activist, that would be an abhorrence. They would say, why would you be bringing more people into this planet? We need a curtailed population. um, And nobody should be having any children at this point right now because the resources are limited and, and people are predatory and we're just killing our planet. So from an environmental stewardship perspective, that's 100% not the case. Like, I need more hands on deck. I need to be educating more children to go out there and, and you know, help me till the soil, help me um, organically fertilize and create really, really healthy um, soil so that we can have um, more plants. And um, just from one little plant, I think, the abundance abundance mindset that's just generated from gardening is unreal. Like oh, absolutely. My, kids know, my kids know fundamentally that there is enough and more like that. There's so much that we can do just from one little plant. And then the millions of seeds that come from that plant, like you just know at your core that there's plenty to be had for everyone. And well, there's so- also a sense of gratitude, like a connection to the, to your food process that you gain. I remember sitting down to the first time, So my family is a hunting, fishing, gathering family. A lot of the protein we eat is naturally sourced um, locally, either through hunting or fishing. And a lot of the the produce we eat, we're trying to move more and more towards either naturally gathering it off the land where we live here in Southeast Alaska or gardening it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting down to the first meal that we had where I had made the sourdough bread and we were eating a moose stew with potatoes and carrots, onions and garlic that we'd grown in our own garden. And the overwhelming amount of, of gratitude for that mill and the connectedness to that mill, um, it was, it very much was like a sacramental or sacred experience um, Mm -hmm. to the family. And I feel like that's kind of what we're missing. And that's what you gain Carol with what you're talking about is Mm -hmm. not only this abundance that we see in life, this, this responsibility, but also this like deep amount of gratitude that these activists are trying to create inorganically is created organically when people just 
put their soul and their heart and their work back into the soil, um, gathering the natural resources, tending, like truly tending to the natural resources of this world, as you're discussing. And, and it's, it's critical that, that you have that component and that longevity with generations. When you have the family system is an organic system. And I wish people could understand that and see that. So when we're talking about the family unit and you're talking about older generations passing on wisdom to the, that middle link, you know, generation, and then these little kids running around with chickens and, you know, digging things up. And I mean, there is no healthier um, energy that the earth loves more than that. Absolutely. And I feel like um, we're completely missing that entire dynamic when people view human beings as inherently predatory that, you know, population needs to be controlled and curtailed in order to preserve the environment. That could not be farther from the truth. Absolutely. So little kids, little feet pittering around out there barefoot, um, you know, throwing seeds down and collecting berries and doing that. I mean, if I could just picture the earth's soul, which I believe the earth has a soul, the earth is so happy. Absolutely. And and yeah, and just and just to create policies around abortion and around, um, you know, population control measures under this false pretense, I believe it's a lie that human beings need to be eradicated in order to preserve the environment. I mean, this is just a hot topic right now. I mean, that yes. is definitely the messaging that is being shared far and wide is that human beings, you are the problem. Mothers, you you should not be having more children. It's unethical to do so. And then, I mean, the list goes on. And to me, that's like such a lie, big, fat, ugly, disgusting lie that I think needs to be brought out. Um, That it just because you're having children does not mean that you don't care about the environment. So many small farming rural communities, they know full well the value of children. And working alongside one another in any kind of rural place on the planet, people understand that is true. One of my very favorite people that I think we should also include in the show notes is Vandana Shiva. And she has been talking about the solution to food sovereignty and to food independence is a small local farmer. Um, People growing things at the very local level and trading with each other. And you, you know, any listener out there, look her up. She is going head to head with some of the biggest, you know, corporations that are profiting big time off of this kind of messaging, you know, monoculture, um, you know, mass production and farming and what it does to leach the soil. And then like, essentially, the pirating of seeds to say that, you know, I'm going to genetically modify these kinds of seeds, and then I own seeds. The audacity to say that you can own seeds is just mind-blowing. But she's such a colonizing perspective. Not only the land, but the seeds, like the, and it really, like if we, this is where my feminist is going to start showing heavily, but when people can say, I claim the power of creation, Uh that's an organic, biologically organic thing, whether it's done in the the small shells of seeds or the womb of the female or the home in general, like trying to co-op those creative spaces and sources is something that just disgusts me on this feminist level that I can't and even I describe accurately. Because I think at the heart of it, 
women are the harbingers of this. Like that, that is our domain to protect because we know the cost of life. Like it's in our body. Yeah. And, and we pay a cost. We were just talking, my mm-hmm. dog currently is in heat and we were just discussing how much compassion I have for her and kind of what she's going through because I've been there. I've done that. Like there, there truly is a cost to creation um, that I think we try to mitigate. We try to pharmaceutical away. We try to do all of these measures and take all of these unnatural measures in order to kind of look past that actual cost that is, has to be paid frequently um, on a month to month basis by the human family and, you know, in different sources, but there, there is a cost, um, both in those monthly cycles and that blood that's spilled because of that, we, we love it. We care for it. And that, that, because feeds- of that we're, the, we're the authority on it. Absolutely. And we, we are the ones that, that have that credential to speak from. And I think that that makes us the rightful direct stewards over life, like Absolutely. flat out. I will just say that it's a female <laughs> issue. And I, I feel like, don't mess with mother nature. Don't mess with our babies. Don't mess with seeds. Don't mess with the soil. Like you do not want to cross that line because in I all think three environments In all three environments. And I think that, um, we need men to protect us so that we can stand for that. Um, cause, because we are kind of in a vulnerable state because of that. And so I think that just the family unit is a perfect example of like, the exterior of the, sh- of let's look at a seed, right? That you yeah. have that external seed coat. That's this masculine energy just to protect us from the harsh elements. And then all within that is just this nurturing environment that the female can then create and spread a tiny, tiny new seed. And it's all there. I mean, you see elements of this truth across the board, right. from the micro to the macro. At the end of the day, it is very much a female um, protection that's needed, you know, that, yeah, don't mess, don't mess with us. And anyway, everybody needs to take a look at Vandana Shiva. She's, she, she really embodies that. She is so inspiring. And every time I'm, she speaks, I get goosebumps. I'm excited. I haven't actually listened to her. So I'm excited. I think it's the first time we've had that conversation or even brought that name up. So yeah. definitely take a look. We'll include some links to the show notes in that. There's so much sacrifice um, that goes into the creation, um, blood and sweat, very literally. And so it very much is a sacrifice. And I think that that's something it kind of goes into an inorganic versus organic experience. We try to mitigate those sacrifices and we try to hide some of those things um, that are difficult. And Carol, you brought up a really cool conversation um, the other day when we were talking, you had some animals that passed away on your homestead. Is that correct? Yeah. So me and the kids, we were out there, we're getting the yard ready. And there was a deer that didn't make it. And clearly my dogs had found it. And, and then there's some chickens too. So we had some dead animal carcasses on our land that I asked my little ones to go and collect. And so they brought the wheelbarrow around, they had shovels out and they're like, mom, where should we take this out to the dumpster? I'm like, Oh no, no, no. Put it back into the compost pile. Just dig a big pit and then cover it up. And then I started thinking about that um, in many ways, how, um, really at the heart of any kind of healthy thriving garden is soil. Like every, every farmer, every gardener knows that. And if you aren't putting back, um, you know, biological material, you know, green matter, you know, dead leaves and whatever different things 
even dead animals, carcasses or whatever, back into that soil, um, you just have an unbalanced soil and it's, it's inefficient. It's not going to allow for proper growth of the plants that you need it for. Um, now, this earth has these really critical little creatures, like these microbes, worms, these decomposers that are essential in breaking down you know, biological matter into this really rich and dark, beautiful living soil. Um, and how interesting it is that for a long time, like modern farming just became obsessed with these synthetic fertilizers. And what it did was it would give this immediate boost to the plant, but then it would leach the soil all the more. So then in the next growing cycle, you'd have to add either more fertilizer to get the same yield or the same kind of growth. And so it's just this downward spiral of leaching the soil and then having to pump back artificial fertilizers to get the same kind of a crop. Now, there's this other more natural and organic way of creating healthy soil, which you're taking, you know, like I said, dead matter and waste, and then you're building all of these little microbes and different things, these different decomposers and bugs that people don't like, that want like this very clean and synthetic version on this one side. The other side, it's kind of a messy process and it's kind of, you know, not as clean and tidy as people may want. But so you have all these microbes growing and but that is exactly what now years later we're finding is the most sustainable thing that we could possibly do is to kind of recycle all of that and bring it back to the soil. And then it does its job, does its thing. And then you've got this rich compost, literally free, right? Um, that you can go and grow whatever you want in. Um, now let's take that model and apply it, in, apply it into our own lives. <clears throat> our bodies are, can be the place for fertile ground and for life to grow from. And sometimes we have a lot of death that happens. Let's say trauma, let's say, you know, whatever trial or hardship or challenge that we're facing can be like that dead matter. And we could either carry it around with us um, as just dead weight, you know, just kind of holding us down, or we can bury it and allow like the miracle of life, these little microbes, these little decomposers, whatever they may be, um, God's grace, perhaps to kind of break down all of this death and to recycle it and repurpose it and to create fertile ground within us so that we can spark life again. And I started thinking about that because sometimes you want to take away all the hardship, all the trial, all the ugly parts of life, and we want to cast it out. But by casting it out, then we have to replenish with artificial growth. You know, artificial like means that kind of saturate us and leach us of the actual, you know, good soil within us that needs that organic kind of matter to spring life from. In a lot of ways, any kind of challenge, trauma, whatever it is that we go through, that is the place that we need to understand that that that's where the growth, that's where the fertility comes from. And by bearing it and allowing God to work within us, we can utilize things like forgiveness, things like, um, you know, just a, str a stronger testimony in God, a stronger faith, that all of those things will kind of decompose the ugly and then create just beautiful, rich, black soil that we can just 
any, any beautiful seed dropped within us will just spring forth in abundance. Right. And so I I was just thinking of those things this week. And Carol, that is, you you exemplified perfectly some of the values of interchanging those different environments. Um, And truly when you're caring for the earth, it feeds back into the family. It feeds back into the individual and vice versa. Like when you, when you as an individual feed into the earth, obviously it has improved. Um, if done in organic, natural, cyclo, cyclical ways. Um, I remember you were telling me this the other day, and I there's so much truth in the fact that like life sometimes, excuse my language, is just shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I use that term both in the fact that it is, and in that's a really good manure. Um, <laughs> really, really good. <laughs> like it just is. Um, I came up with that on the spot that was not done intentionally, but it is like, Life just is filled with crap sometimes, but crap truly is when processed correctly, one of the best manures. Um, you look mm-hmm. at chicken manure and what that does feeding back into the environment. And there's, it feels heavy and it feels hard and it feels like you're dying and, decom- and decomposing inside. Um, and having you talk about those different things brings hope to that cycle because it really is just secular. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not that I'm, it's not that it's bad. It's not that there's this negative phase of life. It's just that it is part of the greater environment of the human experience of the lived experience, be that microbes in the soil or chickens or deer or moose or fish, or even our lived experiences as humans. And there's so much value to that crap of life um, as it feeds back into our natural soil and the soils around us. And so yeah, I, I, I really wanted you to share that with the listeners. We're trying to like sterilize everything. Yeah. Literally in our lives. And I I I do see this quite often like on social media where it shows people's like perfect versions. Like they have these ideal lives, like, well, first I'm gonna wake up in the morning and I'm gonna do this thing, and then I'm gonna and it seems like this kind of weird fantasy life. But and everyone's like, oh my gosh, that's, Carol, that's, that's, that's the fantasy I live. Let's not blow everything out of the water. <laughs> I like my schedule. I like my plan. I like this linear degree of progress and improvement. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think that showing that over and over again to people and people that are right in the thick of, let's say crap that they're like, Oh, I must be doing something wrong. I, or I need to, um, let's say, I need to shun anything that's difficult and push it outside. Like I just need to have this Zen perfect life all the time. And that's not reality. That is just a, a artificial fertilizer is what we need to label that as because you just need to carry on and life and the crap will happen and it'll be hard. And um, I really want to identify what are these microbes and these decomposing things that transform like dead matter into living matter. And I'd like to say that it's God. I'm speaking for myself. It is hands down God, that God turns the death and the doom and the crap into rich, fertile soil. And it's done in little tiny ways. Like it's working within you. You just have to give it to God. Pray, um, forgive, read out of your holy texts, um, listen to the spirit, you know, spend quiet time by yourself. And that those that the, that's the time where those little tiny microbes and those little decomposers are breaking down the bad and turning it into rich, beautiful soil for you to grow new and bigger and beautiful things. So 
just yes. I think have a discerning eye, you know, and, and see reality for what it really is. And don't go for the artificial. Okay. I think that that's really important. I'm also a believer of God, as we discussed, and it's, there's so much value in recognizing that I'm not a felt human being because of those experiences. Totally. It, the natural cycle was created that I go through those things. Mm-hmm. Um, we as humans, we go through that process. Like that literally is the process that is meant to create growth. And I think as an individual and as a mother, someone that's, that's responsible for the caring and the nurturing of life, seeing those things as not only struggles, but truly as the positive crap of our life that currently adds the value to that soil um, on an individual mm-hmm. level when done correctly. Right. And that's the cool thing about fertilizers and the decomposition process is that there's balance in that. If you just dump an animal there, like it's in a sterile environment, it will sit there and it will rot and it won't necessarily create that same organic material. Right. But when you add some leaves to it and you add some wood chips and you put some water in it and you turn it over and over and you do that hard work with that divine power, mm-hmm. uh, with the guidance of that divine power, using those natural the natural laws of this universe that create this process, amazing things can come from it. Like crap, dead, bad habits. Like we can go on and on listing these things that kind Mm -hmm. of create decomposition or weigh on our soul and our hearts and both individually and as family units. And currently as this world, but when we can take those things and we can place them at that divine creative power, and we really engage in those natural cycles, like amazing, amazing things happen. Like you can look out any window into a natural environment and that's what brings a lot. Like that's what life is. Mm -hmm. And I I can't, I can't, I I can't forget to, um, to share, but I mean, we just went through Easter and Mm -hmm. I'm a Christian. And so Jesus Christ has been on my mind and I believe like it's him and he did all the heavy lifting. He did all of the work to make it so that all of that death, can be turned into life. You know, I can't forget to praise Jesus Christ as, as the one that did that for me, how grateful I am that, that I have the surety that no matter what hard challenge may come my way, no matter how great the pain I may feel because of it, that he has done all of that heavy lifting for me, that he has, you know, he has the strength and the experience to turn that into something beautiful, magnificent for me personally. And I'm so grateful. And I think, um, you know, whoever, whatever listeners are out there, just to find that source for you, whether it be Jesus Christ, whether it be, you know, the universe, um, you know, just find that search for that, seek that out and then find that for yourself. And, and I know that any challenge that you face or may have faced, um, that that can be the source for fertile ground for you to do some of your greatest growing from. Absolutely. You know, Carol, and that's, that is the value of those three environments. Um, I'm excited for the extension of the fourth environment, which is more of like the spiritual environment that I think undertoes all three. Um, But I'm going to put out there that I think we need to create a specific fourth environment of the spiritual nature. Oh, I love that. All four of those environments truly do feed into each other. Mm -hmm. the home, the greater environment, that spiritual aspect, that the spiritual line that runs through all three. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, all creation, there is power that you can feel that is 
indescribable. And whether you're agnostic or atheist or believe in some faith tradition, there's very few people that I've ever met when outdoors with that they don't acknowledge that something greater is there. Mm-hmm. Oh, something so greater true. truly is that ability to turn death into life as Christians have been experiencing through the season of Easter and um, going into more of the traditionalist views of just spring and the spring equinox and that secular life pattern of death into life of snow into spring of chicks starting to chirp there's there's so much value in seeing those things inherently as a positive secular pattern Mm -hmm. Um, and I would agree with you that you know having having that individual for me sounds like for you having that Christ that savior um there's so much benefit to that and I have, mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for that. Um, the other thing that I have found extremely interesting, Carol, and maybe this can be the last conversation. Um, I said, <clears> you know, we're kind of running into coming with kids, but I have found that with my own children, as I teach them of a spiritual nature, mm-hmm. and I, there's, there's a lot of people that I've talked to that have said that those that have a religious background are less likely to be environmentally sound because God is in control and God will take care of it. You know, mm-hmm. and we, this is just here to be used for our oh, benefit. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I have found that <clears throat> as I teach them the true nature of God, which is that of creation, that of caring, mm-hmm. like I, I view God as this very loving parent mm-hmm. who truly cares for us at an individual basis. So as I've taught them that theological point, and as I've engaged them in the world, the econ- like the ecology world around us, as we've harvested berries, they've been a they've been actively a part of fishing and of hunting and seeing that process, like from the field, field dressing to our table preparing it. As I've taught them these things, I was down in Utah visiting family, and my fi- my four year old daughter got extremely irate at the amount of trash that was around the car every time we'd get out. And she would just go around picking it up. And every time we got out of the car and walked through a parking lot, by the time we hit the door, she had a handful of trash. And there was one time she was just like, this is God's world and we need to take care of it. These Mm -hmm. people need to figure it out. And she was just absolutely irate. I actually have a video of it that I'll save for hopefully generations to come. But it hit me just how much we as believers, um, that is not an excuse in any sense in the environmental world. I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah, that definitely needs to be discussed. The idea that this is for, you know, this is human beings kind of stand um, as, as, as the apex and we get to do whatever we want. And, um, and it's just for our taking and we can just consume. I think that that's a really ugly way to live. And I I think that it's not necessarily true for a lot of indigenous cultures who are very, very connected to God and spirituality, that they're one in the same. So I think that they we definitely have to follow their leadership on this. Um, But I think that for other people that are of faith that take this more like, um, well, it's it's up for the taking and I'm just going to live my life and maximize it and not have any kind of a desire to understand my impact. <clears throat> we need well, to I'm the apex. Like, yeah, it very is true. Like the yeah. human, the human species, we are the apex predators in our world. Um, because I live in Alaska, like brown coastal bears are kind of it in anything that could truly harm a human. So we are the apex creators. We are the apex predators. 
Um, but as parents, we sit in that apex position in our home. That does not mean that we should use and abuse and neglect and take advantage of those that are in our care. And I think that is simultaneous to the environment that we live on just because we can doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think as we, that is people of faith, like that, that doesn't need to live in dichotomy. Like our our faith should feed into our environmentalism, into our environmental stewardship. Yes. Perfectly encapsulates what, what this is all about. It's not environmental, um, authority over it's environmental stewardship which means that you recognize that this doesn't belong to you that it's just under your watchful care and as a steward that you have the responsibility you don't have the right i i love i love the dichotomy between rights and responsibilities so i have the right i have the right to do this i have the right to do that and i'm thinking let's let's move away from the the idea of rights and let's move away from toward the idea of responsibility that I have something to offer. It's not just me, take, take, take it's I want to give my caretaking kind of abilities to watch over this and to make sure that it's the very, very best it can be. And that's my contribution is to look at these different systems and to kind of make sure that everything's working harmoniously together. And I think that human beings have the responsibility to do that. And we have the gifts and the, and the kind of, spiritual, you know, capacity to do it. And I, I think we need to do it. Absolutely. I think that's between addressing that, addressing this idea that, you know, death really does bring life in both a spiritual aspect and an environmental aspect and an interpersonal aspect. Um, this has been a deep conversation and this is, I was, I've been just excited to have this. Um, it, it brings me personally a lot of hope as we kind of, tackle life's challenges with whatever they may be. And as we, we really think about what it is that is our responsibility and because I, I'm an eco tourist. Like that's literally what I'll be doing for a living is talking to people about the value of the ecology um, of Southeast Alaska and how that interplays with everything and why it's important to protect. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than anything, like I'm a mom and being able to teach my children that and raise and see these individuals having their own struggles and having it make them stronger and learning these teeny little lessons with a plant that really grow into the protection of the, like a generational empowered protection of this earth. Something that I greatly value um, is something that I, this conversation has brought me hope every time we circle around it, this three environment conversation. So if you have issues, this is kind of like the go-to, this can truly solve 99.9% 99.9% of the world's problems is this, this earth stewardship, this, this three environmental um, ideology or thought process, which Carol, I'm excited for this fourth one. So as you're kind of working in your garden and taking care of your chickens, if you want to start incorporating that, um, yeah, I'm excited to read it one of these days. I love it. Thank you guys so much for joining us this morning. And once again, thank you so much for the grace of allowing us to kind of come on um we're, we try to be consistent but you know life kind of gets in the way and those cycles happen so yeah. thank you for your patience thanks for rejoining these conversations and we've got a lot of really good conversations coming up there's so much good happening in our world right now um, and we're excited to share it with you you have been listening to currents a podcast by big ocean women you can find us on the internet at bigoceanwomen.org on Instagram 
and on Facebook. We are each one powerful drop in a big ocean of change. Join us in one of our local chapters, Waves, or Women Achieving Vast Empowerment. Our music is First Rain by Ian Post. Editing and production is by Fifth East Productions. Please join us again next week for in-depth discussion about interesting ideas and about people who are trying to make a difference in their communities. <laughs>